Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Job, the 42nd chapter. We're going to finish the book of Job this morning. So appreciate everyone's patience as we try to navigate through this COVID situation. And so again, I know there's a lot of strong opinions and I understand, I get it. And so I'm just trying to respect everybody. And so we're going to meet tomorrow, just kind of relook at everything and just kind of see where we are and, and hopefully find grace for all of us. So anyway, we appreciate your patience. So as we're going through the book of Job, as we've been talking about, lots and lots of questions in the book of Job. I don't know how many times people refer back to the book of Job. Typically, no matter what you're going through in life, the book of Job will make you feel a little bit better about your situation. But certainly the why question is one of the big ones. You know, why me? Why my family? Why suffering? Why now? And so one of the questions that challenges us with the book of Job is God enough? I think we all have to ask that at some point in our life. Now, not to the degree that Job, I don't know of anybody else that, jo that God had him go through the depth of what Job went through, but all of us have to, at some point in our life, know that God is more important than our stuff, our family, our health. And so that's something that challenges us with the book of Job. As we've been talking about in the book of Job, I kind of see it as an onion. God begins to peel back the layers in Job's life to get down to the real problem in Job's life, his heart, and that is pride. And so again, as God begins to peel back the layers, allows his stuff to be taken, his children to be taken in chapter 1, his health to be taken in chapter 2, his wife tells him to curse God and die, his friends aren't much of an encouragement. Chapter 3, he battles in his mind. And so all these layers begin to be peeled back in his life until chapter 27, the real issue of Job finally surfaces, and I think that's the pride in his life. And again, most of the sermons I've heard about Job are about the first two chapters, about suffering, about losing stuff, and still staying faithful to God, and those are some great lessons. But to me, the real issue of Job doesn't come out till later in all that discussion. And so as we've been talking about the last few weeks, if you were to ask me how long did his suffering actually happen, I would say we're not sure exactly, but I believe it was a matter of months and days instead of years and decades. And again, that's from Job chapter 7 when he says, I am allotted months of futility and suffering and long nights of trouble and misery are appointed for me. So I think his suffering was a matter of months and days which is still a pretty significant amount of time when you're really struggling and suffering. Again, the book of Job reminds us that while we're going through life and it seems like we can't really see beyond our circumstances, it reminds us that there's a parallel universe going on above us where God has a bigger picture in mind than what we're going through. And we have to trust that God knows the beginning to the end, the Bible says in Psalms 90 verse 2 that God is from everlasting to everlasting. And so creation is just really a small dot on the scheme of things, knowing that God has always been here. God will always be here. Satan is a created being. One day he's going to be done away with forever, be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 12 says he's finally booted out of heaven for the last time and all of heaven rejoices. So that, Satan is going to have an end. He's going to exist forever, by the way. It's just going to be separated from God in the lake of fire. 
but earth itself. God created the earth. One day in Revelation, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth are going to pass away. So even earth has a beginning and an end. And so when you think about our time on this earth, and Job lived maybe 200 years, but again, that's a small dot. When you think about eternity, it's a small dot. But it is a reminder to us that even though it seems small, God cares about everything that's going on in our world. That really is amazing that God cares about every detail. And so as we just kind of scan again through the, Job, or through the book of Job one more time, chapter 3, again, they sat silent for seven days. The friends didn't say anything. Job didn't say anything. So for seven days, they sat there and looked at each other. But after seven days, Job finally started and he just poured out his heart in chapter 3. It really is a dark chapter. Someone who's really down, discouraged. I mean, he curses the day he was born. He curses the day he was conceived in his mother's womb. He never curses God, but he just wishes he would have never been born. So really discouraged. After he got done, his three friends chimed in in chapters 4 through 31. So the bulk of the book of Job is all this discussion, all this uh, analyzation of what's going on in Job's life. How many of you know that we can have paralysis by analysis? And so that's what's going on. They're all trying to analyze the situation. And in essence, I kind of summarized all the discussion from the three friends. God only punishes the wicked. God only hears the righteous. I mean, over and over, in essence, what they were saying to Job is, now keep in mind, they didn't have the Bible. They couldn't go to the book of Job and read it and know that something is going on above our world. They couldn't go to some of the promises in the Bible. I mean, if Job was the first book written down, they had no scripture to go to. They were just going by their experience. And so in essence, they kept saying to Job, well, from my knowledge, God punishes people who aren't good performers. He rewards those who are. And so they kind of stuck with that philosophy throughout the argument. Job kept defending himself. And then in chapter 27 is where I believe the real issue of Job surfaces. When Job said this, far be it from me that I should say that you are right. My righteousness I hold fast. And so I think the pride in his heart began to surface. And once it begins to surface, the whole book of Job begins to change. So once that pride surfaces, the Bible says, the three friends ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They understood they weren't getting anywhere because of his pride, so they backed off. And when they stopped talking, this other young man that we talked about last week, another young man kind of walked onto the scene while they were going through all that discussion by the name of Elihu. And Elihu was just listening to all the argument. And the Bible says that from chapters 32 to 37, Elihu chimed in. And basically what he talks about is Job's pride. That's why I believe that once that surfaces, the three friends cease talking. This young man decides, I'm going to say something. And so the Bible says the wrath of Elihu was aroused against Job because he justified himself rather than God. Now, he was also upset at his three friends, the Bible says, because they were condemning Job and they had no answers. They were, again, speaking with supreme authority out of the vast storehouse of their ignorance. No one really understood 
what God was up to. But Elihu brings up the fact that Job had pride. Now, if that's not enough to convince you that pride is the central issue of Job, once Elihu gets done, God chimes in and God points out the pride in Job's life. How many of you know when God chimes in, we all sit back and listen? And so obviously there was a problem here. And so when Elihu was done in chapters 38 and 39, God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. He asked about 59 questions to which there was no answer. He begins with, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Surely you know, you know everything. And he begins to rattle off all these questions and Job had to realize, you know what? I know almost nothing about the greatness of God. And I just want to remind you, sometimes we get caught up in our world. We forget that there's a parallel universe where God is so much more magnificent than we can ever wrap our human mind around. So he rattles off all these questions. Now again, it may seem like God is picking on Job, but that pride is so destructive that God begins to challenge Job with that pride. And so after all these questions, Job answers, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. You know, there's a time that we need to quit arguing. And we just need to sit before God. But, but Job had a personal encounter with God. And then God continues in chapter 40, verse 6 through chapter 41. He asked 20 more questions to which there was no answer. So he again just keeps firing off these questions because he wants Job to realize Job really doesn't understand, again, the greatness of God. That's why the book of Job, there's just so many incredible lessons in the book of Job. And if you ever just want to humble yourself, just go back and read chapter 38 to 41 and just read through all these questions. And it just reminds us how little we know of our magnificent God. He is so awesome, so amazing. And so after God rattles off these other questions, again, he speaks to him out of a whirlwind, something big. We end it last week with the beginning of chapter 42. Job says, Now I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Therefore I uttered what I did not understand. He finally came to the point that he said to God, God, I didn't know what I was talking about. And by the way, once he admits he doesn't know what he's talking about, it's as though he says, God, I was wrong. God says, now that you're wrong, you're right. When he finally admitted to his pride, when he finally admitted he didn't know what he was talking about, again, the book of Job continues to come to a conclusion. Job went on to say to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Now he couldn't say, I heard of you through scripture, because they had no scripture at that time. So all he knew about God was what he was told about God. Now let me again just say this, the three friends, primarily their concept of God was that God is a big boss up in the sky, he rewards people for good performance, he punishes people for bad performance. That was kind of their concept of God. He says, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And then after he gets Job, after Job gets straightened out, Job admits that he's wrong. God says, now that you're wrong, you're right. Once he gets right with God, then God defends Job. Isn't that kind of exciting? He didn't have to defend himself. Once he got right with God, then God turns to Eliphaz 
and he's going to deal with them. So God says to Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now I've taught the book of Job, I've read through it, I don't know how many times I've referred to it, but this week I saw something here that I have not seen before. It really stood out to me in a fresh way. Why was God upset at the three friends? Not because they saw pride in Job's life, because he saw pride in Job's life. Listen to what God said. Why was he upset at Eliphaz and the other two friends? He says, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job. Why was God upset? Because they were misrepresenting God. Again, they were basically saying to Job, God is like a big boss up in the sky. He rewards good performance. He punishes bad performance. And so God was upset that they were misrepresenting him. Let's go back and just look at a statement that each of them make. Chapter 4, you remember Eliphaz said, Remember now who has ever perished being innocent. Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. I mean, that's pretty harsh when he's saying to Job, the reason you're suffering, you must have been a bad performer, and God is punishing you. I mean, putting all that pressure that you have to perform well in order to receive God's love. And then there was Bildad said this in chapter 8, if you remember, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. I mean, that's, that's about as cruel as you can get right there. To tell somebody your kids were taken because they were not good performers. They were bad, and God killed them. I'm going to tell you, that's brutal to be able to say that to somebody. He goes on to say, if you would earnestly seek God, if you were pure and upright, surely he would prosper you. Again, he's saying that God is a God who rewards good performance. He punishes Bad performance, like a big boss up in the sky. Then there was Zophar that said, The increase of his house will depart, his goods will be lost. This is the portion from God for a wicked man. So all three of them, in essence, were saying, We serve a God like a big boss up in the sky who rewards good performance. He punishes bad performance. You know how much pressure that puts on us when we're told that we have to perform in order to get God's love? And sometimes we have that same concept today. And sometimes pastors will get up and say, do more, do more, do more, get more busy. And I want to tell you, somehow we think in the back of our mind, if I can just somehow get more busy, that I'll earn God's love. I'm going to tell you, that's a lie. God's love is not based on our performance. That's why I think he was so upset at these three friends because they were misrepresenting who God is. I remember going by several years back, I was going by a preschool class and I heard the teacher was talking to these preschool. Can you imagine a room full of preschool children? How many of you love hanging out with preschoolers? You know, Art Linkletter said, children are funny because they don't know what they're saying. Old people are funny because we don't care what we're saying, all right? But these children were running around, and I, and I just happened to be walking by the door, but I heard this teacher say to these little kids, now little boys and girls, she said, remember, God doesn't love bad boys and girls. And it was all I could do to not go in there and say, your teacher's wrong! What they're telling those kids is, if you don't perform well, God doesn't love you. 
I mean, we start early by somehow telling people that God's love is based on your performance. That's why we're performing so much, because we've been told that somehow we got to perform to get God's love. And then I remember, I don't know how many years ago, a while back, I was going by, walking through the hall at Sunday school, and I stopped and waved at all the kids. You know, I'm, I'm not a good influence. I like to stir the kids up and then leave, all right? So I'm not the best one to babysit. Brenda says there's a reason why nobody wants us to babysit. We give them lots of sugar, stir them up, send them home, all right? That's, I, I love to have fun. I let the parents deal with everything else. But I remember the, the kids were kind of running around. I was in there waving to the kids. And the teacher said this to the kids. Now, boys and girls, if you don't behave, I'm going to send you to Pastor Roger. So I got to be the bad guy. I got to be the one that somehow they misbehave. I've got to correct them because they didn't perform well. I thought to myself, I'm not going to discipline if they misbehave. I mean, we're all on a process. I remember several, this was probably four or five years ago, pre-COVID, but one of the, one of the students at CCS, I, may have been kindergarten, first grade, little, little bitty guy, little bitty guy, I think he was kindergarten. Well, he broke something. I don't even remember what it was. But, I, you know, it was probably an accident, but even if he broke it on purpose, I don't know. But teacher, they, somehow they found out, they made this little boy write an apology note. Not because he was sorry, but because they were making him right. But she brought him into my office. I can still remember this little boy. I mean, his lip was quivering. He had a little apology note that he wrote saying something like, I'm sorry for breaking whatever it was. And he stood there in the office, the teacher right behind him. She said, give him the note. And here's this little boy, man, his lips quivering, tear in his eye. He is scared to death. Of me. If you ever get in big time trouble, have them send them to me. You'll get a lot of love and encouragement. That little boy, and I tell you, man, I just felt the love of God in a big way. That little guy with his lip quiver, and he had this little note. And I remember getting down on my knee right in front of this little guy. I just said, buddy, I just want to tell you how much God loves you. Man, he was so much. And I appreciate the note, and man, that's, that can be taken care of. I just want, to all, I want you to always know that God's love for you isn't based on your performance. And I just loved on that little kid, encouraged him in the Lord. Somehow, there's something in human nature that we sometimes project God, that we have to perform in order for God to love us. And I'm just telling you, that's not true. I think God loves us as we're a work in progress. He loves us through the whole process. I remember uh, Brennan Manning, Sharon, he did a, a weekend retreat, and he talked about the love of God and just receiving the love of God. And that's so hard to receive the love of God because we always feel like there's more we've got to do in order to receive God's love. And he said they stayed sometimes up till midnight just talking to people after the conference. And he said one night he didn't get to his hotel room till about 1230 in the morning. And he said, yeah, I was so exhausted. I just laid on the bed with all my clothes on. I was just so exhausted. And about three o'clock in the morning, he heard a little peck on his hotel door. Brandon, I can't say the voice like he says it. It was a 78-year-old nun with a high-pitched voice. He said, Brandon, 
And so he's trying to wake up. He splashes some water on his face. He goes to the door, and here's a 78-year-old nun. She says, is there any way I could talk with you? And so he stepped out in the hall with this 78-year-old nun, and she begins to pour out her heart. She said, I want to tell you something I've never told another human. When I was five years old, my daddy crawled into bed with me without any clothes on. And thus began sexual abuse through my younger years. By the time I was 12 years old, I knew of every kind of sexual perversion that you can imagine. And she said, I've lived with the guilt. I've lived with, I feel like God didn't love me. I feel like I could never perform enough for God to love me. I've lived under that guilt all these years. I've hated my father. I've just lived in bitterness. Now here's a 78-year-old nun who's devoted her life to God and has never really got to experience the love of God because of the abuse she went through as a child and because she never felt like she was good enough to receive the love of God. And Brennan said to this 70-year-old nun, he said, I want you to do something for me for 30 days. I want you to start your day out every day. I want you to take 15 minutes before you do anything. I want you to get alone with God and turn your palms up to heaven And I just want you to say over and over and over, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. I want you to imagine yourself as a small child just reaching up to their father, not based on performance, but just based on the love of that parent. 30 days later or so, he got a letter from this nun. And she talked about how her life was forever changed by receiving the love of God. And she said, I would almost always sign my letter, Sister Mary, uh, whatever her last name is, she said, I would always sign it that way. But from this day forward, I'm always going to sign every letter as daddy's little girl. Wow. And I tell you, more than anything, more than a pastor, Sunday school teacher, Baptist, Methodist, If we could see ourselves as daddy's little boy or daddy's little girl, that he absolutely loves us. It's not based on our performance. It's based on his love for us. That's why I think God was so upset at the three friends. And so Friday night as I was going through this, it was about 12.30 in the morning on Saturday. I was sitting in front of the computer and I began to think about how, how can I find a picture of a father's love? And so I was going through the internet trying to find pictures of fathers and this one, that one, the other one. And as I was going through all these pictures, I mean as clearly as God has ever spoken to me, God said to me, I want you to get some pictures of Brett and Juliet. I went to uh, his Facebook page and Brett's a new daddy. And I just want to give you a few shots. I took a few pictures and I put them on my, my PowerPoint, getting close to 1 o'clock in the morning. And then I called Brett on Saturday, asked if I could use them. I already had them on my PowerPoint. But anyway, as I looked at these pictures, this one on the right especially, I look at that, him looking down at Juliet. I had the privilege of being able to hang out with Brett. And when Brett talks about Juliet, I mean, it's just oozing with love and so brett come on down i asked brett is there any chance is there any chance we could bring juliet up here and he's 
I just want you to stand right down here in the front. I'll try to stay my six feet. I'll try to behave. But as I looked at those pictures at 1230 a.m., I just felt God come down to me. That's how I feel about you. And I asked, and she's looking at me. That's awesome. Usually they're asleep. So whatever children do, it's absolutely fine. I asked Brett in the early service. We didn't have Juliet in here, but we asked Brett. I said, you know, I look at the love of a father's heart there. And I said to Brett, I said, how much, how much income has she brought to the household? Zero. Matter of fact, she's cost him a small fortune. I don't even remember how much they say it costs to raise a child. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't know how we made it. I don't know how we made it. I asked, how many, how many chores does she do? How much help does she do around the house? Her performance level, would it be safe to say, is zero, pretty much at this point. Brett's love for Juliet has nothing to do with what she's contributing to the family. It has nothing to do with chores. How do you describe a father's love to his child? And so when I look at bread, and when I get around bread, it just oozes out of me. And at 12.30 in the morning, I guess that'd be Saturday morning, early in the morning, I just sat in front of the computer, and I just had an encounter with God, and God reminded me, my love for you has nothing to do with your performance. I've got this thing already figured out. I know the beginning from the end. I just want you to experience my love. I just want you to know every day you get up, man, I love you unconditionally, and it's not based on your performance. And so I, I appreciate Brett. I appreciate Juliet. This is her first moment in the spotlight. So she'll be live. Anything you want to say, Juliet? <laughs> Nothing she wants to say. But anyway, I, I appreciate Brett's heart. I love this guy, and I love to be around a new a parent, of any, you know, a new parent. I mean, how do you describe that? There's one thing missing on this picture, and it's going to come up over here on the right. If I were to ask Brett to describe his love, I don't know that you could ever put into words the love of a parent. And so again, God was upset at Eliphaz because they were misrepresenting him. They were somehow telling him, it's up to your performance to please God. And that really bothered God. I hope you never feel like God's love for you is based on your performance because it is not true. The truth is, and we've said it many times, but as long as we're on earth, we're going to be a work in progress. And so if I wait till I get it all together to experience God's love, I'm never going to experience it ever. Thank you so much. I would give her a kiss, but I'm going to keep my distance. So God's love, again, isn't based on our performance. So then he says to Eliphaz, Now therefore, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And so Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord had commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. So it's kind of amazing how the book of Job ends. First of all, Job gets right with God in chapter 42. 
Once he gets right with God, God says again, now that you're wrong, you're right. And then he deals with the three friends. And so the three friends offer up a sacrifice so they can be right with God. Isn't it kind of great that everybody's getting right with God in the end? So they offer up a sacrifice so they're getting right with God. Job's already got right with God. And then God says uh, to Job, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Not only was it important for them all to get right with God, but then God wanted them to be right with each other. God wanted them to be, have a love relationship with each other. And sometimes in the church, I hear people say, I love God, it's just his people that bother me. But John says in 1 John, if you say you love God but hate his children, you're a liar. You know, the truth is, the book of Job reminds us how dangerous pride is, how important it is to get right with God, but also how to get right with each other. So once they all got right with God, then God says to Job, I want you to pray for your friends. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I say many times, it's okay to get even. How many of you have ever wanted to get even with somebody? In Jesus' name, of course, we're Christians. But it is okay to get even, as long as we do it God's way. God says, pray for those who curse you. Do good for those who are doing evil for you. I believe God wants us to bless. He wants us not only to be right with him, but he wants us to be right with each other. That's such a beautiful ending to the book of Job. Everybody gets right with God. Then they begin to get right with each other. And so it goes on to say, Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And so God blessed his socks off. The Bible says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. God blessed him with twice of everything that he had in the beginning. But it wasn't the stuff that made Job happy. It was being right with God. I just want to remind you today that whatever you have, it's a gift from God. But it's not the stuff that makes us happy. It's that love relationship with God. That's what brings us joy. And I hope that as we leave the book of Job, I hope our life is forever changed because we realize God's love is not based on our performance, but it's just based on his nature, that he loves us unconditional. The Bible goes on to say he had seven sons and three daughters that were born in all the land. There were no or found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. Now he got twice the animals that he had, but he only got the same number of children back. How many of you know it might have been a blessing to get 10 more children instead of 20? All right. But also, I I feel like this, my heart, as I was reading that and thinking about it, he had 10 children, he got 10 more children. Here's what I feel like God said to me. I feel like when you lose a child, I think that child is always a part of the parent's heart. I don't think you ever, ever, ever replace a child or a grandchild. And so even though they got 10 more children, I believe the 10 they had at the beginning were still in their heart. Because I don't think you, again, can ever replace a human life. You ever talk to a parent who's lost a child, I can tell you almost every parent without exception will say to me, there's not a day goes by that I don't think about them. 
Because once you have a child, they're forever in your heart. And then the book of Job ends with, After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. One day when I get to heaven, I hope after I spend time with my mom and my dad and some of the people that that have gone on before me and spend a few hundred years at the feet of Jesus, I would love to sit down with Job and say to Job, was it worth everything you went through for that last 140 years of your life to experience the love of God and to experience the love for your fellow man? Was it worth it? I think Job will say without a doubt. It was worth everything I went through to enjoy God. The book ends with saying, so Job died old and full of days. And as I've mentioned, you know, David, the man after God's own heart, he only lived 70 years, but the Bible says he died full of days as well. And so life isn't how long we live. Life is about enjoying the fullness of God as we go through the journey. I love the book of Job. It's really changed my life more this time. And maybe it's always that way that no matter how many times you go through a book, it seems like God gives you fresh thoughts from that book. But I hope that as we go through, again, we realize the danger of pride. But we also realize that God is not a big boss up in the sky. It's not about performance but it's about receiving his unconditional love. And maybe nowhere is it seen any clearer in the Bible than the prodigal son who took his inheritance, went off and wasted it with riotous living. And when he came back, if there was ever a scumbag that needed to be scolded, it was the prodigal son. But you remember when he came back, the father ran to meet him, fell on his neck and kissed him and threw this big party and literally returned his son and gave everything that he had back to his son and he didn't deserve it he didn't deserve any of it but that's God's love and I just want to remind you today we don't deserve anything from God but he loves us unconditionally not based on our performance but just based on his goodness I want us to stand together if we can I believe there's people here today that have been beat up. I know that we've all been put down and discouraged in our younger years, and maybe we've we've been a part of a church that's kind of driven the idea that we got to perform more, we got to do more, do more, do more. And maybe there's most of us here, if not all of us, that just need to take a step back and realize it's not about performance but it's just receiving the love of our Heavenly Father. Wouldn't it be great as I looked at the picture of Brett and Juliet, I honestly felt like as I was going through his pictures early Saturday morning, I felt like God say to me, I just want you to imagine yourself as Juliet, and I'm holding you in my arms, and I could not love you more than I love you. I cannot tell you what an incredible gift it is to receive his unconditional love. Just to know that he absolutely loves you unconditionally. What a gift. I want to ask you if you feel comfortable. I just want you to turn your palms toward heaven. And I want you to picture yourself as a little child standing before your heavenly father. 
having us as part of the family hasn't necessarily helped him out. It's probably cost him some headaches. But he loves us so much. I just want you to say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I trust you. Abba, I receive your love. I want to encourage you every day this week to just start out every day and as a little child, just reaching up to your heavenly Father and just feeling Him reach down and wrap His arms around you. And I believe it's out of the love of God that spills out that we just want to please Him, not because we have to, but because it's just an overflow of His love. If there's someone that you need to call or go to today, I just pray that you would get right with someone in your life who's maybe been some heavenly sandpaper. I think God wants us to get right with each other as well as we get right with Him. I just want to pray. As I pray today, I want to remember the, the health care workers. I want to remember the educators. I tell you, there is just so much stress today in this world that we're living in. I mean, I can't even imagine the healthcare workers who literally just come home exhausted, the educators. I've talked to people in education. They're just completely mentally, emotionally drained, trying to figure out how to, how to move forward. So let's pray. And, and wouldn't it be great after we finish the, bo the book of Job, wouldn't it be great that we could say that after this, However long that God allows us to live, wouldn't it be great to be able to say that all of us here lived a full life? We died full of days because we experienced the incredible love of God. Let's pray together. Father, fill us with your spirit. I thank you so much for the picture of Brett and Juliet. What an incredible reminder of your love for us. And Lord, I just want to receive that. I just pray that all of us would walk out of here today and never be the same as every day. We just want to receive the fullness of your love. Fill us with your spirit. I just pray for healing for those who have been beat down, for those who have been abused in their younger years. God, I just pray for healing. Help us to not live another day in guilt, not another day just trying to perform to please you. Help us to live every day in the fullness of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arms, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to Thanks living.